0: This morning is taken from the book of Hosea Hosea 6 We'll read the verses 1 to 6 You find the book of Hosea after the book of Daniel Following it comes Joel and then Amos. So the context that this passage is in is that God's people, they've stopped serving him and instead they've been worshipping the Baals. And so God has sent enemies to Israel so they can turn back to him and serve him. And in the end of chapter 5, he's actually likened himself to a lion, a lion that goes and tears his prey and then goes back to his den and watches to see what will happen. And so in Hosea 5, verse 15, the Lord says, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seek me. And then... Hosea 6, verse 1 to 3, we have the response of God's people to this. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Then God responds to his people. What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And my judgment goes forth as the light, for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings. So far our reading for this morning, and as we prepare to meditate on God's Word, let's sing together from Psalm 25, the verses 2 and 4 through to 13. Sorry, Matthew 9, the verses 9 to 13. And after the proclamation of God's word, we'll sing from hymn 46, the verses 1, 2, and 4. Let's read our text together. Matthew 9, starting at verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, I think the hardest words for a doctor to say would be, there is nothing I can do for you. It must be the hardest thing, sitting a patient down who has come to your office and telling them, there is nothing I can do for you. It doesn't matter where I've got my degree. It doesn't matter how specialist I am. It doesn't matter how long I've been practicing for, there's nothing I can do for you. This morning, we're going to take a moment to look at the great physician, Jesus Christ. And the central message that we're going to see this morning is that the great physician never says, there is nothing I can do for you. No, the great physician, he comes to sinners, no matter how sinful they are, and he calls them to himself to find healing. And so our theme this morning is going to be the great physician calls sinners to himself no matter how sinful they are. We're going to see two points. We're going to see that he makes this clear by calling a tax collector. He makes this clear by calling Pharisees not sure how many of you are following along with the liturgy. That's different than we have on the liturgy, so I'll repeat that again. The great physician calls sinners to himself, no matter how sinful they are. And we'll see that he calls a tax collector and he calls Pharisees. And so our text this morning begins with Jesus calling Matthew a tax collector to himself. Did you know that when Jesus calls Matthew, He's actually calling one of the most despised and despicable people in all of Israel to be one of His disciples? That might not be clear to us, because in the text, Matthew is simply described as a tax collector, someone sitting at his tax booth. But we have to look at this man through through the eyes of a first-century Israelite and understand what it meant to be a tax collector in Israel at this time. Last week, last Sunday morning, we saw that the Israelites at this point in history were under Roman rule. They were a conquered nation. And the Romans made the Jews pay taxes, heavy taxes, and they taxed the Jews in a a variety of ways. And one of the ways that they taxed the Jews was to put a customs tax on the transportation of any goods. If you wanted to bring goods down a road, you had to pay for it. You have to picture every road in, in Israel at this time like the 407. I think it's, I think it's the 407. It's, it's the toll road that you can take into Toronto. You can skip the traffic, but it costs you an arm and a leg. What is it, like, like 30 dollars or something just to get into Toronto? Now, now, every Roman road was like that. The Romans, they'd put up a, a customs booth at key points along the road like a bridge or a city and they would charge you to bring your goods along the road at each of these custom station you had to pay something between two and five percent of your goods value and if that wasn't enough they also taxed people who would use the sea of galilee for commerce if you're a fisherman on the sea of galilee you caught your catch you put it in a cart and you wanted to take it into the city there was a tax booth right there on the coast, making sure that you paid your 5% to bring your fish into town. And now, Matthew was most probably at this custom station that was right beside the sea, taxing the fishing industry. Mark tells us that when Jesus came past Matthew, he was beside the sea. We might say, that's all good and well, Matthew was part of this tax system, but that doesn't mean that, that you should despise him. None of us like taxes, but taxes, they're just a part of life. When we get a call from someone from, who's working for the CRA, we don't, we don't despise him just because he's calling us up, we sort of realise that he's just doing his job. But Matthew wasn't someone who was just doing his job. Tax collectors like Matthew were despised for two reasons. The first reason was that Matthew was a Jew. The Romans, they hired Jews, local Jews, to do the work of collecting the taxes for them. And so Matthew was a Jew who had collaborated with the Roman invaders He was a traitor who to the Jews had sold his soul to Caesar. You might say, hey, that's a a little bit hard. But literally, he has. You see, Matthew, as a tax collector, was not allowed in the synagogue. He was not allowed in the Jewish places of worship. We would say that he'd, he'd literally placed himself outside of Israel, outside of God's covenant community for the sake of money, for the sake of gain. And so that's the first thing. A tax collector was seen as a traitor. The second reason why tax collectors were despised was because they would often line their own pockets at the expense of the people. You see, it was up to the tax collector himself to determine the value of the goods. So you came to the tax station and Matthew would look at your cart and see what you had and he'd say, I think you have to pay this much tax. And he'd always put a a little bit of a profit on the top for himself. And so a tax collector, by over-assessing the goods, could line their own pocket and could become very rich. Just think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, who promised to repay fourfold of all that he had defrauded. And so if we're going to summarize who Matthew was in a sentence, say that Matthew was a Jew... Who had deliberately placed himself out of the covenant community sold himself to Caesar for the sake of money and because of this he was placed on the same social standing as a prostitute as adulterers as extortioners and sinners and so here was Matthew matthew an outcast sitting at his tax booth and jesus walks up to matthew and he says to matthew follow me and jesus is doing this to make a point and the point that he is making is that no matter how sinful you are no matter how vile you are no matter how how far you're gone in your sin jesus comes to you and he calls you to repent from your sin and follow him. And Matthew makes it clear that this is Jesus' point in the way that he structured the story. Our text falls in a larger section of chapters 8 and 9, and this section is made up of three smaller parts. In each section what you have is three miracle accounts, and then they climax in this little discourse on discipleship. And the section that our text is in starts in chapter 8, verse 23. And let's look how how this story progresses to a climax. It begins with Jesus asleep on a boat crossing the Sea of Galilee. And as Jesus is sleeping there, there's this great storm that comes. And Jesus tells the storm, basically tells it to go away, and the storm listens That's his first miracle, demonstrating his power over nature. And Jesus gets to the other side of the sea. And with a word, he tells a a legion of demons to go out of a demon-possessed man. That's the second miracle, demonstrating Jesus' power over the demonic forces. And Jesus comes back to the other side of the sea, back to Capernaum. And when he's there, he's faced with a, a paralyzed man. And he heals the paralysed man. But his purpose isn't to to just heal this man. He's not showing his power over paralysis. But in this miracle, he's showing his power over sin. Through this miracle, he shows that he has the authority to forgive sins. And so we see this climax. Power over nature. Power over the demons. Power to forgive sins. Now in the eyes of the disciples, in their minds, they would have been wondering, wow, Jesus can forgive sins. But the question that would have been in their minds would have been, how far does this power extend? How far does Jesus' ability to give healing from this disease of sin extend? You know, a doctor comes to the point where no matter how skillful he is, no matter how specialized he is, he comes to a point where he cannot provide a cure. There comes a point when he has to sit that patient down and say, son. There's nothing I can do for you. But here is the great physician. He's in the city of Capernaum and he's just made it clear that he has the authority to forgive sins. And he walks out of the city and the first thing he does is demonstrate just how far that authority goes. He comes to the greatest of sinners and he says, follow me. Matthew rises and follows him. Look at that power. Look at that power. He walks up to a man who has sold his soul to Caesar. The great physician speaks his life-giving word, follow me, and he follows. If sin were a tumour, Matthew's sin was the biggest it was the worst. It was the most incurable tumour in all of Israel. And yet that's nothing for the great physician. He speaks his word and Matthew comes. To Jesus it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how sinful you are. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. It doesn't matter what the state of your heart is. It simply doesn't matter because Jesus has the power to heal you from your sins. There are some of you here who feel deep down in your hearts that you are excluded from Christ's call, that Jesus might have come to call others to repentance, to call others to heaven and to live with him for eternity, but but not you. You look at your past, You look at your own heart and you see your thoughts, you see your desires, you see what you long for and you think, it's not for me, I'm too far gone. But brothers and sisters, this passage of Scripture before us this morning, it teaches us not to look into ourselves, not to look into our hearts, but rather to look to Jesus, to look to the great physician who has the power to call sinners, all sinners, to himself. so how should we respond to this call our response should be the same as the response of matthew we see that matthew's response is twofold he responds with joy and he responds with witness he hears the call of jesus and and he rises and follows him there's no wavering there's no hesitation there's no questioning is this is this for me no he goes he follows and we see that Matthew is overjoyed because the first thing that we read he does is, is throws this huge banquet, this huge feast for Jesus. We read in verse 10 that Jesus reclines at the table in Matthew's house. Now, in those days in Israel, if you were reclining at the table, it meant that you were sitting down on a couch and there was this great big feast that was happening. They would only recline at the table and there was a feast. And so Matthew's full of joy. He throws this feast to celebrate. But take a look at who he shares that joy with. Look at the invite list to this feast. And you see, when Matthew left that tax booth, he left his job behind, he left his livelihood behind, he left everything behind, but he didn't leave his acquaintances behind. You'll find that at the Feast Jesus is invited, His disciples are invited, you expect that, but He also invites His old colleagues, the tax collectors, and He invites the sinners. Now this word sinner has a wide range of meaning. It can be anyone who didn't keep the Pharisees' laws of purity, right down to the prostitutes and the drunks of town, But these particular sinners who Matthew had invited to this feast would have been the friends that a a tax collector would have had, would have been his old friends from his old life. And so we see that here Matthew is not only celebrating, he's also bringing his acquaintances to meet Jesus, to meet the one who called him out of darkness into his glorious light. We would see that Matthew, we would say that Matthew is witnessing. He's witnessing to those who are still locked in the life that he has left behind. And so we see that Jesus' call to follow him, it comes to each and every one of us. Now we should respond to that call with joy and with witness. But we also see that. Jesus doesn't only come to Matthew, but He also comes and He calls the Pharisees. Before we go into this section of our text, we should remind ourselves about who the Pharisees were. Now, the Pharisees were ordinary, everyday Jews. They weren't Levites, they weren't priests, they weren't the rulers of the people, that was the Sadducees. The Pharisees, they were just everyday Jewish people who knew the law of God really well and who taught the people God's law. They knew their Old Testament laws and they sought to obey these laws perfectly. And so what they did, they they took the Torah, they took the law of God, And as it were, they made more laws, like a fence, all the way around it, so there was no way that they could break the Old Testament law. But what really characterised the Pharisees wasn't that they simply tried to keep the law. There was nothing wrong with that. There was nothing wrong with trying to keep God's law perfectly. Even Jesus Himself said that He had come to fulfil every jot and tittle of the law. What characterised them, was that they separated obedience from God's law from a heartfelt love for God and the neighbour. Just think about how we, how we read the law together earlier in this worship service. The first and the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind and, and from that love flows actions. But what the Pharisees did, they just, they just focused on these actions. That was all that they focused on, without having that that heart attitude of love that led to the actions, and so the actions weren't actions of love, but they were just legalistic actions. They thought, as long as we do this, as long as we keep this law, we're fine. It doesn't matter where our heart's at. It just matters that we're obeying. And so, for the Pharisees, if you would tithe 10%, if you would go to the synagogue each Sabbath, if you would avoid what was unclean, if you would make sure that you only associated with people who were clean, then you were pure. Then you were clean. Then you were holy. Then you would be saved. But the reality was, brothers and sisters, that the Pharisees were sinners. Sinners. And they were sinners because they didn't have that heart of love for God and their neighbour. But the sad reality was that they couldn't see it for themselves. They were sinners. They couldn't see it. They were sick, but they didn't see their need for the physician. And so the Pharisees, they see Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners, with unclean people, and they are horrified. They come to the disciples and you can can hear the the sneer in their voice. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees knew that the law said that you were not to associate with unclean things and unclean people. And the food that Jesus was eating was made by unclean people. So it was unclean and the people that Jesus was sitting with were also unclean so in their minds, here was Jesus defiling himself by eating with them. But brothers and sisters, let's look this morning at Jesus' response to them. Because he responds to them in such a way that shows them their sin. He responds in a way that calls them to look at their sin and to see their need for him and to see their need for healing. He wants to show them that although they were keeping the law, they were whitewashed tombs, clean on the outside, dirty on the inside. And so, firstly, he answers their question Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? He gives an illustration. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. He's saying, I am the doctor who's come to heal people from sickness, the sickness of sin. And so this is where you should expect to find me, sitting with my patients, showing them their need and also providing for that need. But then Jesus goes on. And this is wonderful. Jesus, he goes on to prescribe for the Pharisees the very passage from his word that they needed to read so that they could understand that they also are sinners in need of healing. It's like a doctor who who reaches into his medicine chest and, and takes out just the right medicine that that person needs. Jesus does the same. He reaches into His Word, His Word that alone can give life, and He prescribes to them a passage of Scripture that if only they would take it, if only they would turn to it, if only they would read it with an open heart, then they would see their need for Him. It's here that we really just see the the heart of Jesus coming out. His heart not only for for sinners and tax collectors who blatantly live in their sin, but also for for hypocritical, self-righteous, religious people. He calls us all. He calls us all. He says to the Pharisees, Go. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Go. Open your scroll to Hosea 6, verse 6. If you could understand what it said there, you would see your need. You would see your need for salvation. So let's turn together to Hosea 6, verse 6. It's a passage that we read together earlier this morning. Hosea 6, verse 6. And there, we read the Lord saying to his Old Testament people, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The first thing we realize when we read this is that in Hosea we read God saying that he desires steadfast love, while in Matthew the word is mercy. Now, the reason for that difference is simply that Jesus is quoting from the Greek New Testament, which translates the Hebrew word for steadfast love as mercy. And so if when Jesus says mercy, standing beside that word is the Hebrew concept of steadfast love. And so, Jesus is, and so Jesus is telling his people, the Pharisees, to look at this verse. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. And when we look at it in the context, we realize that at this point in their history, the Israelites had turned away from God. God had called them to come back to Him. And then in in chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, we see the Israelites responding to God's call to come back to Him. And when you listen to that response, it sounds like it is the perfect response. They say in verse 1, Let us return to the Lord. In verse 3, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. It seems like the Israelites are turning to God. Yet in verse 4, we hear God's, God's reply to their response, and He says, what shall I do with you? What shall I do with you? You see, the response of the Israelites here in the book of Hosea, it sounds right. They're saying all the right words, but they do not have the right heart behind those words that they are speaking. Israel, they might be responding in the right way, but they are fickle. Their love, it came and it went like a cloud in the morning that comes, and and unlike this morning, it comes and it goes and it doesn't drop its rain. Or their love, it came and it went like the dew that's there in the morning, but when the sun comes up, it's gone. So it was with their love. They would say the right words. They would do the right actions. But it didn't come from that heart, that heart of love for God and his people. And so God says to them, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. I desire hearts of of loyal love and not just legal performance. It wasn't only Hosea that made this point in the Old Testament, but God repeatedly told His people this. Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, they all said the same thing. We don't have time to turn to these passages this morning, but when you go home, just turn to Amos 5, verse 21 to 24, or perhaps Isaiah 58, and you'll see that in each of these passages, God is saying, don't come to me doing all of the right things Don't come to me keeping the feasts, offering up the offerings, obeying the law. When you you don't have a heart of love for me or a heart of love for my people, that legal performance, it's not enough. And so Jesus, in Matthew 9, Jesus He's saying to the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. Go and understand what I said to my Old Testament people. And then you'll see that you and your keeping the law and your legal performance, it is not enough. Look at the way that you're treating these tax collectors and sinners. Look at the way that you're treating those who are not inside the covenant community. Your heart, it's not filled with a love for them. Your heart, it's not filled with a desire to see them back in the synagogue, praising God with you. No. Your heart is indifferent and your heart is cold. Brothers and sisters, let's just take a little moment to let this word of Jesus come to us. We also, who, who are God's people, who come to church each Sunday, who have been baptised, who come here Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon We're live streaming once again at 3.30 in the afternoon. God's people who who do their best to keep his law. Let Jesus' words here speak to us as well. Let them show us that we also are sick and in need of a physician because how often don't we fall short? How often do we have a heart that is just indifferent to the eternal fate, the eternal well being of our neighbors, of our colleagues, of our work friends, of our hairdressers. How often do we also have hearts that, that don't really care? And so, Hosea 6, verse 6, it, conv- it, conv- it convicts us all how far we fall short. How sinful we are. How great is our need for a Savior. And so, do you see what Jesus is doing here, brothers and sisters? He is calling the Pharisees to open up the Scriptures and to see their sin for what it truly is. He is prescribing to them also the medicine of His word so that they too would stand convicted you know what the problem of the Pharisees was? was that they wouldn't take this medicine. It, wasn't, it was that they wouldn't open God's Word. And so they remained blind to their sin. This becomes clear in, in Matthew 12. In Matthew 12, verse 1 to 8, Jesus is once again confronted by the Pharisees, and this time he's confronted by them because he's not keeping the Sabbath laws. And in his response to them, he points them to the exact same text, Hosea 6, verse 6. But if you look at Matthew 12, verse 7, you notice that there's a difference in the way that Jesus directs them there. He says, If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Notice the difference there. Jesus is no longer saying, go and learn, go and see, go and look. He's saying, if you had looked, but you haven't. If you had known, but you don't know. And so the Pharisees remain blinded by their sin. And so there's a warning there for each of us this morning to examine our hearts, to see our sin, and to repent take a hold of our saviour but brothers and sisters when we are convicted of our sin we're not to stay just looking at ourselves but we're to look to the great physician who calls tax collectors and who calls pharisees who calls everyone in between he calls us all to himself you could just picture the apostle paul sitting there with Matthew reading through this gospel having the first copy of the gospel in his hands the apostle Paul who was a Pharisee of Pharisees and who also called himself the greatest of sinners you can just picture Paul reading our text and looking up to Matthew and saying Matthew you a tax collector a despicable sinner, and me, a Pharisee, a self-righteous sinner, both of us, both of us called by the great physician, us, you, me, and everyone in between, we're all called to follow him. Amen.